For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Welcome to The Rock Podcast. These days, good wisdom can seem hard to come by. Many people seldom think about the need for wisdom in their lives, leaving themselves vulnerable to the ideas and directives of the world, which is contrary to God. The Bible teaches that there are two opposing sources of wisdom. From which source are you receiving your wisdom? Let's join Pastor Adam now with a message entitled, Wisdom, Worldly versus Heavenly. All right, guys, I'd like to invite you back to your seats as we begin this morning's Bible study. And uh, I know that when you walked in, you saw that uh, the lectern was gone and uh, assumed that it was probably me speaking because that's just the habit that I have. I'm a free spirit. I need to be able to wander around. And then probably half the people came in, saw the lectern was gone and, and left because uh, <laughs> Pastor Ross was in here. And I don't blame them because uh, I love Pastor Ross, and uh, as he says, and all of the staff say, even if we weren't on staff, we would go here. We would so go here. We appreciate, we appreciate the staff, and, and particular Pastor Ross, for teaching through the Word of God. And it, you guys have heard this before, but I just want to say, when I think about Pastor Ross, one thing that stands out to me is his, uh, his commitment and his faithfulness to not only the Word of God, but the body of Christ. And what's remarkable to me, and I don't know if this is necessarily such a great thing, but uh, he really doesn't have any other hobbies or interests. He pours all of his life into the Word and, and the church. And so I really appreciate that example that, that he gives. But he also uses the lectern, and that's where we depart from one another. Anytime, the, uh, anytime uh, he's gone, we actually, it's not that I don't want to use the lectern, we actually just send it into the shop for repairs for... <coughs> for foreign alignment, and so um, that's, where it, that's where it is. Um, I, always bring, I always bring up and defend myself for not having the lectern because uh, the, the other guys, they kind of give me a hard time, especially uh, Pastor Ross and Pastor Jim, and um, so I have to bring it up. Unfortunately, I think it works defending it because I haven't heard any complaints from you guys, but uh, if you do have any complaints, I, I don't know what to say other than um, uh, I'm just here so I won't get fined, so... <laughs> Super Bowl joke, sorry. Pre-Super Bowl, you guys didn't see it. This morning I'd like to open our Bible study with a question, and I want to ask if you were here uh, first service or if you uh, came in towards the end of first service, um, uh, not to answer because it's only one answer per person, and so um, it's a question. I'm going to give you guys a chance to get a little charismatic, not too much, by shouting out things at the same time. Um, but uh, you can't, if you came to first service, and also if you're psychic or if you're psycho, you can't shout anything. So, um, But here's the question. It's a very simple question. Uh, what is something that everybody wants? What is something that everybody wants? Any answers you guys have here? Just speak them up. Whoa, not all at once. I mean, yeah, all at once, but I got to be able to hear it. Yeah, you raise your hand. Free data, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a grandfathered AT&T plan, and I am never going to depart from it. Yeah, over there. Wisdom. Love. Love. 
happiness, life, freedom. peace, freedom, peace. knowledge, faithfulness, peace, help. Yeah, great. Those are all good answers. One more. Salvation. salvation. Yeah, hopefully everybody will come to a knowledge of the truth and receive salvation through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Well, those are all good answers, and I just want to point out to the ushers, you know who to go after if they start chirping up during the message. That was a test to see where the talkers are. So um, you'll be escorted out if you try to talk at any other point during the message. Um, yeah, I, I asked this question uh, as kind of a, a, an experiment, a test, because I've asked, uh, I've asked it a few times, uh, mostly in settings where I'm speaking to youth at uh, Christian schools or youth groups, and, and um, I was looking for a particular answer, and it was mentioned by a gentleman over here, and I'm wondering if maybe somebody told them what I was looking for, but uh, the answer that I was thinking about is wisdom. Wisdom is something that I've found in asking this question to a few uh, different groups that has been lacking in the answers. And not that it's lacking in people's minds necessarily that it's not something that we want, but I think it does have something to do with us not really thinking about it as much as we think about other things. And it's very interesting that the scripture says wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. And so if, if, uh, if there's one thing that we need to know how to navigate our life here on earth, it's wisdom. It's heavenly wisdom, God's wisdom. And so we'll be looking at James chapter 3. If you want to turn there, I'll give you a few moments to turn to James chapter 3. We'll be in verses 13 through 16, or I mean 18. And we're going to be comparing and contrasting uh, worldly wisdom versus heavenly wisdom. Worldly wisdom versus heavenly wisdom. As you're turning there, I'll give you a little bit of context. In James chapter 3, well, first of all, James is all about practical faith. Faith that is revealed through the practical um, uh, implementation of our lives. In other words, he, ha he says, you, have, you say you have faith, I say, I say good, I have deeds, let me show you what my faith looks like through my deeds. In other words, there's proof to our faith when our faith is genuine and authentic, when it's true. And so in the third chapter of James, he's speaking to uh, the church, and apparently there were some members of the church who were uh, trying to vie and, and, uh, and um, jockey for position of status or popularity or influence in the church, and he starts by addressing the teachers and says, hey, if uh, not many of you should want to be teachers because we know that teachers will be judged with a, with a harsher or a more strict judgment because it's really important what we say, especially when it's affecting the lives of others. And then he goes on and talks about the tongue and the things that we say, and he says the tongue is a reckless evil. It's set on fire by hell. And we know that the Lord Jesus said that um, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I know that James... Um, acknowledges that and knows that the evils or the things that we speak that aren't in keeping with the truth and the nature of God are from our hearts, from our sinful nature. And so then he lands here in our passage, James 3, 13 through 18, and he starts talking about the things that are needed, particularly heaven, heavenly wisdom contrasted to earthly wisdom that will enable us to live the life that he is exhorting us to live in the scripture. So let's go ahead and pick up there. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. This is the word of God. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, 
by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and evil, every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Amen. Lord, as we open your word together, I pray, God, that you would open our hearts and that you would impart the spiritual truths that are necessary to uh, affirm, correct, um, rebuke, exhort, instruct us for godly living, Lord. Thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look at, as I mentioned, the contrast between worldly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. And starting in verse 13, James opens this section with a question. Who is wise and understanding among you? I believe that James is implying that his listeners or his readers uh, believe that they are, that they are wise and understanding. That's why he's writing a lot of these things to them uh, and rebuking them and correcting them in regard to their, their living Um, as professing Christians. And so he asks this question, I think an implication that you probably all think that you are wise and understanding, and that's part of the problem. Well, when I think about this question for my own life, uh, I try to answer it honestly by saying, I, not me, I don't think that I'm wise. Now, of course, there's times where I experience pride and I pat myself on the back when I've made some decision or some, uh, you know, something about my life that, that seems to be good or have value that certainly happens. But I remember from a very young age thinking and, and recognizing, not really understanding it, but knowing, especially looking back on my life, that I lacked wisdom. I had a wisdom deficit. And I remember one story in particular that I, maybe I've shared with you before, but I was 18 years old and um, I was working in, in Calusa. Uh, I grew up in Calusa County, and I was working in Calusa. I had to go to the gym uh, after work. Um, those days are gone, but uh, um, <clears throat> I would, uh, uh, I'd go to the gym, and this one particular day, I was just experiencing a lot of angst about life in general. I was angry. I was angry at my life. I was angry at my family. I was confused. I, I didn't really have any friends. It was just life was one big mess of confusion and chaos for me. I had inner emotional turmoil going on. And uh, I remember leaving the gym feeling this way. And I went and got in my car. It was a Mustang GT. And uh, it was parked on the street. And on the street, the, the parking spots weren't uh, parallel. They were, um, they were slanted parking along the side of the, the curb, the street. So I got in my car. It had just started to rain. So there was a light rain coming down. It was evening. And uh, I just gunned it and peeled out and backed up. And when I hit the brakes, my car just spun around uh, in the road. Now, it felt like I spun around like three or four times. Of course, it was probably only half a time or something. But, um, you know, I don't know if you know that feeling. It's, it was kind of fun, but not, <laughs> not in regard to the emotions that I was feeling. And I remember spinning around, and my car just stopped in the middle of the road facing the opposite direction that I was supposed to be facing. 
And all along the sides of the road, there were cars parked there. There's nobody walking around. It was pretty quiet, but there were cars parked there. And I was sitting there, and I'm thinking about what could have potentially happened if I would have hit those, that, those cars, you know, like tens of thousands of dollars of damage. And I just remember sitting there. It felt like a few minutes in the middle of the road. Windshield wipers are going. The lights are on. The rain's drizzling down. And I just thought to myself, I am so stupid. and I'm so foolish. I wish there was somebody that, who could tell me how to live my life. I wish there was somebody who could impart wisdom to me so that one, I wouldn't feel the way that I do about life, all confused, and two, I wouldn't make the stupid decisions that I make, including one like this that could have been disastrous. And so I have always felt that I have lacked wisdom in that, in that way. But I'm so thankful to God, you know, for fulfilling that desire in my heart. It wasn't five, until five years later that I came to know Jesus Christ from that experience. And since that time, I've been wanting to, um, to uh, I've been desiring to receive and devour God's wisdom for my life. And I need it. And I, I still am not very wise. I make some stupid decisions that you'll hear about a little bit later, some of them. Um, and so, you know, the danger, of course, of doing a Bible study like this and talking about wisdom is, um, you know, you guys all watching my life now and making sure, with a clipboard and making sure that I don't make, you know, you preach that message on wisdom and look at this decision you're making. Uh, I'm not necessarily inviting you to do that, but uh, I know that it kind of comes with the territory, so we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, but honestly, I want wisdom. And I know that wisdom comes from God. And we'll talk about that. I need God's wisdom. And especially now as a new father, I have an 18 month old son. His name's Dutro. And uh, I want to be a, a, a good dad. I want to be a good dad to him and any of the rest of our children. We're, we're pregnant and expecting again in July. And um, I want to be a good dad. One of the things I want more, more than anything is to be a good father. And uh, I know that it's going to take heavenly wisdom to be able to, to know how to parent or even be able to start um, knowing how, how to parent. And uh, I certainly need that to be able to parent him. And any parents in here, I think, would agree that it takes wisdom because every uh, child is so unique and individual and you face circumstances that you never dreamed of facing, you know, with, with uh, children because of their personalities and, and uh, just the, the circumstances of your life or their life. And so we need wisdom to know how to parent. Um, but more than that, I also want Dutro to have wisdom, to be imparted with wisdom. And every night, every night that I get a chance to be a part of laying him down for, for bed, um, Katie and I usually sing to him, and then we lay him down, and I pray over him, and uh, pray different things over him every night. But one of the things I almost always pray is Luke 2.52 over his life. Luke 2.52, it says that Jesus, when he was young, he grew in wisdom and in stature, and in favor with God and man. And that's my prayer for Dutro, and I pray for wisdom for him, because um, as I mentioned before in asking that question about what, what do we want, it's not often that you hear somebody reply that we want wisdom. I want him to, to grow in wisdom. I want him to desire wisdom. And so um, wisdom is the thing that we need in order to live uh, practically a life that uh, not only benefits us and others, but brings glory to God. And in verse 13, 
James demonstrates that. He says, after he says, who is wise and understanding among you, he says, let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that, come, uh, that comes from wisdom. James is all about, show me the proof. You say you are wise and understanding, prove it. I want to see it. And this is what it will look like. It'll look like a good life. It'll look like a good deeds. It'll look like humility. Um, those are the things that come from wisdom. He might have been thinking about Proverbs 1 and verse 3, which says the wisdom of the Proverbs is for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair. Exercising wisdom will always be followed by a correctly lived life, by good deeds. It'll always be followed by a clear conscience. It'll always be followed by peaceful disposition, even if external elements remain in opposition to you and what you're desiring to do in honoring the Lord. You'll be able to have these things. And uh, so in this verse, I want to kind of break it down a little bit and look at a few of the terms. I think it's important to define terms so we know what we're talking about here because we use these terms, but um, we, can, we might know theoretically or even how to implement them practically, but it's important to know exactly what they are. Uh, again, in verse 13, it says, let him show it by his good life, by deeds done and the humility that comes from wisdom. In other verse, verses, it, it, it says the meekness that comes from wisdom or the gentleness that comes from wisdom, we'll define these things. Meekness, you know, it's, I think it's a combination of those things, and it's even, it's even more. And so that's those are all good words. But define meekness and humility. Meekness has often been defined as power under control. In other words, you have the ability to be able to do something, to be able to exercise kind of influence or authority over a situation, but you're able to control that to use it in a in a good way. It kind of speaks of the idea of a horse that has been broken and able to be controlled by bit and bridle. It's a powerful beast, but it's able to control itself and submit to its master. That's the idea of meekness. It also carries with it the idea of not seeking revenge. There's no vengeance involved in meekness. We know that Jesus was meek and he did not seek revenge, but he led us in an example to pray for those who would, who would, who would persecute us or be our enemies. Um, uh, thinking about humility, my MacBook uh, defines humility, and that's where I go. It's like it's so easy, just four-finger swipe over, dictionary, boom. I mean, it's, I wish I had that in, in uh, 11th grade in Mrs. Hopkins' class because it would have made life much easier. So anyways, I always had to go to the dictionary, and that took too much time, so I just didn't do it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I could go on about that, you know. I would always despise, she was the hardest teacher. I'd always despise all the people who came in afterwards from college and publicly thanking her in front of the class saying, you really prepared me for college and it's a breeze. And I'd be like, gosh, what about those of us who don't want to go to college and this is miserable? (laughs) Anyways, my MacBook, I digress. My MacBook defines humility as a modest or low view of one's own importance, uh, which to me sounds kind of depressing. Um, When it's taken out of the biblical context, I think... Biblically speaking, uh, humility is an accurate view of God and an accurate view of ourselves. I think when we have an accurate view and an increasingly accurate view of God, then we will have an accurate view or increasingly accurate view of ourselves. God is holy. He is good. He is just. And we are far from him in all of those things, but he wants to make us like him. In other words, humility says this, God, big, 
me small. God smart, me stupid. God right, me wrong. God good, me evil. That's what humility says, very very plain and simple. And the wonderful thing about the comparison between us and God is that God and his love and his mercy and his grace uh, makes this reality bearable for us. Not only bearable, but joyful. If, if that wasn't the reality, I would feel even more depressed, you know, about my life. But when God says, this is the reality, but I love you and I want to give you good things and I want to transform your life, uh, that is refreshing. And I thank God for the truth uh, that brings humility in our lives. And God wants to make me into all the things that he is, and in that I rejoice. But these things will come from humility. And humility comes from grace. We read in the scriptures a few different places, uh, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's even in the next chapter of James, chapter four and verse six. And so we receive grace um, through humility. Uh, But where does humility come from? Well, it says right there in our verses that humility comes from wisdom. And then we would ask the question, where does true wisdom come from? And the Bible tells us it comes from heaven. I love how God just lays this out for us. James chapter 1 and verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, which we all do, we should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. So we need wisdom, and when we need it, we can just ask God, and he will give it to us. Well, what is wisdom? I think simply put, wisdom is the correct application of knowledge. It's that simple. The correct application of knowledge, it, it often is in conjunction with experience and, and good judgment, um, but it can also be illustrated this way. Uh, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Uh, wisdom is Never eating a tomato. That's what I believe. If you never eat a tomato, it's a demonstration and a man- manifestation of wisdom. Um, that's, that's my version of the parable. It actually goes, uh, tomato, uh, knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. Um, I just don't think we should put it in anything, and that would just solve the problem right there. Or here's, here, that's, another, that's another story. I... I invite theological debates regarding the tomato. That's fine, too. Um, Here's another way to put it from experience, from my experience. Knowledge is knowing that a screwdriver is for turning screws and a file is for smoothing surfaces. Um, I got those two things mixed up uh, recently, and I'll explain. I was uh, doing a, a project in my garage, and uh, I'm going to start with this. I didn't say this first service. I wish I would have because my friend Wes was there. But I was talking to Wes about uh, this, these different projects I had in mind for my garage, you know. And, and, like, you go into the garage. I don't know if it's like this for you guys, but I walk into the garage, and it's almost like a different, like, dimension of, of like, brain capacity. You just walk in there, and the rest of the world shuts down. You're like, this is my place to do things and experiment and be free from the concerns of, of life, you know? And so I go in there, and I, t- I was talking to Wes about this, and I say, I walk into the garage, and I stand there, and I just stare. And I think all the different possibilities that I could make in this garage and do. 
And then Wes said, you know what? I do the exact same thing. And I was like, oh, it makes sense. But then I got to thinking, I wonder if we ever stand in our garages at the same time and think this question. And then I started thinking about movies, you know, when people are separated by uh, location and they stare up at the moon and they're looking at the moon at the same time, but they're like different parts of the world. I felt that connection with Wes, I think, in the garage. But I was doing this project. It's a do-it-yourself camper shell, uh, camper shell hoist system. Uh, it only cost me $44 in material, so much better than what the, what the market was, uh, was asking for. The unfortunate thing, though, in a do-it-yourself project like this, it cost me $1,500 in labor and $3,200 in research and development. So um, it always takes so much longer than you think it's going to and so much longer than doing one of the, uh, you know, installing one of the jobs you can, you can buy online or something. But I'm installing this camper shell hoist. It's really cool. It's an elaborate pulley system. I got some help from some friends and, uh, in, in designing it. Um, I, was, I put it up uh, mostly by myself, and there was this one part where I had to screw this lag into the wall and uh, it was, uh, had a hook on the end of it, so you couldn't use you know, normal tools to, to do it. So I had to use a screwdriver at first to get it going, and then once that kind of got too hard and the screwdriver was giving under the pressure, I got some vice grips, and I started to turn this thing, and I got it to where I wanted it, and then I have to slip a pulley over it, and the tolerance is not, there's not very much for the hole that, that slides over the hook, and it caught on a burr from using the vice grips, which marred the hook. And so I was trying to put the, the, uh, the pulley over, but it was catching. I was like, oh, man. So I was up on a ladder. And so instead of getting down and grabbing my file, I grabbed my screwdriver. And I started to, you know, kind of chip try to chip away at it with the screwdriver. And that wasn't working. So then I thought if I hold the screwdriver against it and, like, really hammer into it, it'll work. And so I'm pushing against this bird. And at the same time, I'm holding the pulley up here. And... Uh, the screwdriver slips off and goes into my finger. I have this little scar to remind me. It healed really fast, but it hurt. So now I got a screwdriver in my finger. My, sorry about this, but my flap of skin's hanging down and blood's pouring out. And I'm looking at it and thinking, I am so stupid. <laughs> I know. I know what a screwdriver's for, and I know what the file's for, but I failed to apply correctly the knowledge that I possessed, and I have a hole in my finger now, and that's going to set me back more in, uh, in labor because now I only have one hand to do the job. So, um, so you know, uh, that's kind of a silly story, but just a practical application of we have knowledge in fact, the Bible says that we, we know that we all have knowledge, but if the knowledge isn't applied appropriately, then it could end in hurt and pain and destruction. And so um, that's, uh, that's wisdom versus knowledge. But what is knowledge? It's the, the acquirement and the assimilation of, of facts or information. And then the question is, well, where does knowledge come from? Because if we need, if we need to be able to, um, if wisdom is correctly implementing knowledge, then we have to have the knowledge in order to exercise the wisdom. Well, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 1 and verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. And so the foundation of knowledge, knowledge that's really going to have any lasting effect in our life and bring about godly wisdom, is the fear of the Lord. In Proverbs 2, 
uh, verses 1 and 5 through 6, it says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Where does knowledge come from? It comes from the mouth of God. It comes from the words of God. It comes from the commands of God. Knowledge comes from God's word, from the Bible. Now, I know this is pretty elementary, but I feel like it's so important because so much is, is hinging upon this truth. If you want knowledge, the knowledge of God and the wisdom of how to know, of, of, uh, to know how to live, it begins with God's word. You have to have God's word. I'm so thankful for the word of God. If it hadn't been for the word of God, I would be up here spewing folly. And none of, and all you guys, if you stayed here, which I hope you wouldn't, um, would be getting dumber by the minute listening to me uh, because that's just the way I was. My ideas, my thoughts about life, the decisions that I was making, they were all foolish and leading to destruction uh, in my life. But when I got into God's word and I had this book in front of my face and on top of my head and wherever I could have it to soak into my brain so that I could receive the knowledge of God, then my life started to transform supernaturally by God's word, his spirit doing the work in my life, helping me to cooperate with God's grace so that I can apply the truths of his word and in so doing, be blessed. And, and my life has been transformed in that way. And so I just want to remind you, it's so important to be in God's word. God's word is the answer to any difficulty that we're facing. We pray, we ask God to illuminate the truths of his word, to speak to us through his word, and he promises that he will give us wisdom, the wisdom that we need. But in order to implement that wisdom, we have to have the knowledge, the knowledge of God, his word, ruminating in our minds and in our hearts so that we can act in a way uh, that benefits us and others and glorifies him. And so we need to read the Bible. We need to read it. We need to believe it, and we need to apply it because it works. If you're in a place where you feel like you're lacking wisdom uh, or you just don't know what to do with your life as a Christian, you're, you, you know, we've been talking about uh, baby Christians in, in the book of Hebrews and, and uh, them needing to grow in their faith, and it's true of all of us. It happens in the Word of God. It happens through the Word of God. Read the Word. Nourish yourself with the Word of God, you, you know, I, I, I want to spoil it for you, but you could probably do, do so much more uh, good in your life by staying home and doing a, a word study on some topic of faith in the Bible than coming here and listening to me preach at church. So what are you guys doing here? You guys should be doing that. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good to come to church and to have the word of God affirmed through, through the teaching and through fellowship with one another and sharing our gifts with, with each other. But the point is, don't rely on what you hear from here for your spiritual nourishment. Get into the word of God yourself. Now we're gonna look at worldly wisdom, the, the things that, um, that James talks about that uh, are displayed through worldly wisdom in verse 14. He says, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Now the word if in the Greek is really saying if and it is so. In our language, if is just if, like there's a possibility of it. But in the Greek, there's at least four different words for if. And this one is saying if and it is so, or since. Since you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it 
or deny the truth. He's calling these believers out. And he gives us a few indications of what worldly wisdom looks like. Worldly wisdom is bitter, it says there in our text. In contrast, in comparison to heavenly wisdom, which is sweet. Worldly wisdom is envious. Heavenly wisdom is content. Worldly wisdom is selfish. Heavenly wisdom is selfless. Worldly wisdom is power hungry. Heavenly wisdom is patient and faithful. Worldly wisdom is boastful and proud. Heavenly wisdom is humble. Worldly wisdom is deceitful. Heavenly wisdom is truthful. Worldly wisdom is opposed entirely to to true wisdom, to the wisdom that comes from God, that comes from above, that comes from heaven. In this verse, he talks about the truth. He says, do not boast about it or deny the truth. What's the truth? I believe it's the gospel. I believe that they're denying the truth of the gospel, which says that we do not receive salvation according to our own wisdom. We receive it through the goodness and the grace of God imparted to us. So how can we boast in thinking that we are able to accomplish anything good for ourselves by any wisdom of our own? We can't. There's no boasting in that because salvation is a free gift from God and he accomplishes that in our lives. And therefore, we cannot boast about ourselves or anything that we we do. In fact, the Apostle Paul, he opened up his first letter to the Corinthians, uh, who was a church that uh, apparently assumed that, that themselves to be wise, uh, he opened up his letter with this reminder in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 24 and 30 through 31. He says, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. It is because of God that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. We have no ability to boast in our own talents or gifts or wisdom or anything like that because anything that we have received that's good and purposeful in our lives is from the Lord. And so we can boast in the Lord. Verse 15, he says, Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. So as just as we, we saw the, the source of heavenly wisdom, it's from above, it's from God. Here we see the source of worldly wisdom, and it's a threefold source. And I want to tell you guys, be careful not to just read over these, uh, these three things too quickly because there's a pattern that we see uh, these three things in the Scripture, these three progenitors of worldly wisdom. Um, it uh, is one of, I think, one of the unholy trinities that is talked about in the scripture. And Paul would agree. He writes in Ephesians chapter two, verses one through three. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this, what? World. And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Who's that? The devil, Satan. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our, what? Flesh, sinful nature, and following its desires and thoughts. And so these are our three, not only our, our, our three um, uh, sources of 
of worldly wisdom, but there are three adversaries in this life. The world, the flesh, and Satan. And that's where the Bible says, James is arguing worldly wisdom comes from. Let's look at them for a moment. Earthly, it just means of the world, the ideas of society that are contrary to God's word, contrary to his nature, contrary to his truth, and anything that would provide any good, uh, good uh, results uh, or living in our, in our lives. And so the world has all of its own ideas, and they're completely contrary uh, to God's word. I was thinking about this last night. It's almost like, it's almost like the world reads the Bible and says, let's do the exact opposite. But really, you know, it's like you, you find that with, with everything, uh, even small, seemingly small things. Um, but I think the reality is, is that the, the spirit of the world and of the flesh and of Satan is just bound to be opposed to the nature of God and the truth of God. And I don't even have to read the word to know how to oppose God. They just oppose him by their nature. Their nature is opposite of God's. So the world says things like, do whatever makes you happy. Do whatever makes you happy. The word says, blessed or happy are all who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways. Psalm 128, verse 1. The world says, follow your heart. We hear that all the time, you know, uh, uh, especially in the world, in the movies. Um, in movies, I mentioned to the first service, you know, especially I think of like chick flicks, you know, and their romance and dating and that sort of thing. Things like The Notebook, you know, which none of you have ever watched. My wife actually texted me and said, don't encourage people to watch movies uh, that you mention. This happens in youth group all the time. I'm always like quoting movies that I watched even before I was a Christian. I just remember the funny parts. And then afterwards, my wife's like, shouldn't probably be quoting those movies. They're going to go home and YouTube it or something and watch, you know, watch the whole movie. And I'm like, hey, I can't, I can't, I can't help it. So every, almost every youth group, if I know I'm going to quote a movie, sometimes it just happens um, by nature, but I, I put a little disclaimer beforehand, you know, so, um, you know, I cannot be held accountable for any of the things that happens from henceforth from watching this movie. I, I do not, I do not, you know, it's like when you have like some kind of advertisement and they have a little disclaimer and it's like, we're no, in no way endorsing, you know, this, that's what I have to do. So anyways, don't watch that movie. I just thought, thought of it. So, but the world says, follow your heart. The word says the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Jeremiah 17 and verse nine. The world says we are a product of evolution the word says, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. Exodus 20 and verse 11. The world says, we are not subject to a supreme moral authority. The word says, he, God, will punish those who do not know God and, who do, and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 8. The world says, every road leads to God. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14 and verse 6. The world says, it's okay to be promiscuous and to have sex outside of marriage. The world says, or the word says, rather, flee from sexual immorality. Have nothing to do with it. 1 Corinthians Chapter 6 and verse 18. Everything the world stands for is contrary and opposed to God and to his truth. I had a little example of this 
Uh, this last week, we took Dutro, our son, into his uh, 18-month checkup at the doctor's office. And we're sitting there waiting to be seen by the doctor. They always give you a little thing to fill out. And uh, there's questions on it regarding uh, Dutro's health. Well, after like two questions, you know, how, you know how, how, how is he? Does he, you know, do this? Does he do that? And then it like turns to other kinds of questions like how we parent. I'm like, I just want to bring him in here to make sure his heart's okay. You know, I don't want to receive parenting instructions necessarily. Um, so, there, you know, by the way, his heart's okay, so it's good. It wasn't a concern. There wasn't a concern. It's just, you know, that was just, we just want to make sure he's okay. So, um, so anyway, uh, I'm reading, and there's questions like, uh, you know, do you ever leave your child unattended for long, you know, in a car or at home? Uh, are the slats on your crib uh, no more than two and a half inches apart? You know, uh, just different questions. I'm like, what? You know, like, this is a checkup for my son, you know? So um, I, just, I just didn't answer those questions. But one of the questions that stood out to me was, um, do you yell or spank your child? And then later on, we received another thing that had some parenting tips. And on it, it said, never yell or spank, yell at or spank your child. Now, I agree that we shouldn't yell at our children. I don't think that's good at all. Um, but I disagree with, with uh, the idea that we shouldn't spank our children or discipline them in that way. Now, I think what they meant to say and what I wish they would include is do not spank in anger. I think that's important, not to discipline in anger, but to discipline out of love. That's God's heart for his discipline for us, and it ought to be our heart for our discipline for our children. Now, there's so many more things that come along in parenting that are good besides spanking, so it's not like a soapbox for spanking. I'm just bringing this point up because of this experience. But when I look at that, I want to, uh, I want to be able to know what God's word says and to follow and obey God's word. And God's word tells me in Proverbs 13 and verse 24, he who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. There's another verse, Proverbs 22, 5, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. There's plenty of other verses in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that talk about discipline and discipline in this way. And so, you know, when I think about raising my son and my children, I want to do it the way that the Lord has commanded me. I want to operate through heavenly wisdom, what God has revealed to me through his, uh, through his word. Um, and so we, we spank Dutra when necessary. Um, he never cries when we spank him because it doesn't inflict injury. He, only cry, he does cry if he's still stubborn and not getting his way, um, but uh, it's usually resolved in, so, in such a loving and, and, and restoring and reconciling way when that happens. And I also tell people, um, I want to have, uh, I want to, out of my life, give Dutro so many more kisses than I do spankings, um, which means I have to give him a lot of kisses. Because he gets, he gets a lot of spankings. Um, but, um, but God helped me to never do it in anger and to never yell um, and to do it always out of love and for his, his good. And so I just bring that up because of that experience. The world says one thing and um, the word says another thing. And everything that the world says um, that we should do or or talks about worldly wisdom for us, the flesh and the devil say amen to. And so let's look at unspiritual, of the flesh. 
Romans chapter 7, verses 14 and 18 say, We know that God's law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. We have a sinful nature, and as uh, Pastor Ross wonderfully uh, pointed out, it survives conversion. Before we come to know the Lord, the only nature that we have is our innate, inherited, sinful nature, nature of the flesh. We are, by nature, slaves to sin. And Jesus said, whoever sins is a slave to sin. Sin is our master, and the wages of sin is death. That's, uh, that's what we have in store for us in our natural uh, life, in our sinful nature. When we come to know Jesus Christ, we are what's called born again by the Spirit of God, or born from above, or born of God. And God imparts to us his Spirit, and now we have the nature of the Spirit. But The nature of the flesh is still there and the Bible says that the two are at odds. They're at enmity with one another and they're warring against each other. That's why we're exhorted to walk in the spirit so we don't uh, satisfy or gratify the desires of the flesh. We're told to put to death the deeds of the flesh. We're told to crucify the flesh and we can only do it through the power of the spirit. We, We live naturally according to our sinful nature until we are regenerated by the spirit of God. Then we're able to through cooperation with God, suppress the things that come from the sinful nature. But it still tries to get the best of us. It tries to get the best of us and it tries to, try, uh, tries to impart its wisdom to us, its worldly wisdom. An example, another quick example for you is it's tax season. I'm doing taxes and uh, we do it online. And um, we, I got to this part where I was putting income, our income in and Katie had received uh, some extra income to help supplement our income this year. And um, I put, I enter the income and I watch our return drop significantly. And I see that and I'm just like, man, that is so lame. And then I think she only made like half as much as she actually made by the time we pay taxes. And then I start to hear it. I start to feel it. Hey, there's no 1099. There's no records of having received that income. Why don't we just take it back out, watch that number go back up, and everybody will be happy and fine and dandy. And I feel this. You guys know what I'm talking about. I feel this temptation turning in my life and my, na- my sinful nature trying to get a foothold in my life. And I knew I had some- to do something drastic. I had to out myself. And so after dealing with this for a while, I brought it up to Katie, who is much more godly than I am. And I, I said, hey, you know, there, here's the situation. And she said, well, you know, we, we just need to, to include it and to, to honor God. And as we do that, he will honor us. And I said, that's exactly why I told you. Because <laughs> I needed that encouragement. You know, we're hoping to, to finally pay off her student loans. And I saw the number. I was like, wow, this will help us get to that place, you know. And all the things of how it could be used for good, you know, and the worldly wisdom just speaking to you through that. And, um, and I knew I had to out myself and confess. And that's one great way to, to uh, it's one great tool to conquer and defeat the wisdom of the world is to go and either confess what you're being tempted about um, or uh, to, uh, uh, 
to make it known and receive counsel from others. And now I've told you guys, so I'm accountable to you as well. So there we go. Too bad, flesh. Sorry. <laughs> Even right now, you know, it's like, oh, man, that was such a bad move. <laughs> I'm just like, shh. That's the, way, that's the way that the flesh works. And then of the devil or demonic. I have here, it says, Satan promises the world through his wisdom. He promises us the world. But he not only fails to deliver, he can't, he can't deliver on his promise. He can't deliver the goods. He also takes away anything good that we've had when we obey him or obey his wisdom. He's a thief. Jesus said the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I'll give you an example in my life of, the, of uh, demonic wisdom. You know, I, I'm thankful to God that now it seems more often I'm able to recognize when spiritual warfare is coming. You know what I'm talking about. There's some things that people say, ah, oh, I'm just going through spiritual warfare, and that you hear it and you're like, yeah, it just sounds like you're having a bad day, you know? Um, but there's other times where you just know. And, and for me, a lot of times it comes in, in dark thoughts, depressing thoughts, thoughts that I normally wouldn't think. And it just, no matter what I do, I can't keep them from infiltrating my mind. And I'm able to recognize, okay, this is not of God. I'm experiencing some spiritual warfare here. And I need to, you know, I need to use the tools that God has given me to combat this. Um, and so that's one way the, the, the enemy tries to bring his wisdom in our, in our lives. But there's another way which just seems so odd to me and so strange. I understand why he does it but because uh, he just wants to destroy whatever, whichever way he can. But sometimes I'll be minding my own business and a thought will come to my mind that it has, makes no sense and is just totally irrational. And I'm going to tell you guys, and you're going to think that I'm all that you're all going to think that I'm crazy and psycho and need uh, need help. But uh, that's okay. Um, hopefully, I mean, you've probably already gotten to that point already by this time. So, um, but this one time I was uh, at a pastors' conference, and I was walking with the guys on this footpath, and we're crossing this bridge this uh, over this creek. And uh, as we're walking across, I get this thought in my head that says, "Push him off the bridge right now." <laughs> trying to push him off the bridge. Uh, I told him later, and he's like, well, thank you for not listening <laughs> to that. I appreciate that. Uh, another time, I know, I'm crazy. This isn't me. This is something, something else. I'll be driving down the freeway, and a thought will come to my head, turn left as hard as you can and slam on the brakes right now. And I'm just like, no, this is so stupid. Um, you know, other times, in, in times of, of, of stress or conflict, the thought will come, get in your truck, go to the bank, withdraw all your funds, and drive away and go off the grid, you know, and, 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 never, and never look back. And it's just like, what? Where are these commands coming from? And I just picture this demon sitting at a computer, instant messaging me. You know, it's like, Adam comes up on his screen, he's like, push him off the bridge, send. No, didn't work, Okay. Turn left as hard as you can. Send. And in my mind, it's like, what in the world is this? But, you know, we have to be on our guard because you've heard the saying that the Lord works in mysterious ways. Um, I don't really believe that about Satan. I believe that the Lord has equipped us to know the schemes and to not be unaware of the schemes of the enemy. And he's, he's given us the tools to be able to combat the wisdom of, of the devil 
the wisdom of the flesh and the wisdom of the world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5, this is a verse that I use. It's in my tool belt um, to be able to combat any um, demonic wisdom. It says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And so when these thoughts come, I just am able to naturally, hopefully all the time, most of the time, say, Lord, this thought isn't from you. I just submit it to you, and I pray that you'd filter it out of my mind. So the world and the flesh and the devil are not, not our allies, as we've seen, but as I've mentioned, they're our greatest adversaries. They're opposed to the truth that brings life and freedom. And now, uh, as we wrap up, famous you know, pastoral line, <laughs> Three. I have five points to my conclusion. Um, kidding. <laughs> Guess we'll be home before dinner. Don't worry. Um, verse 16. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. And so while true or heavenly wisdom results in a good life, good deeds, and humility, worldly wisdom only brings disorder and confusion, chaos, and evil. The word evil there, really, in, in the Greek, there's a few different words for evil, but this word particularly means worthless. It's good for nothing. It's empty. It's vain. There's nothing good that comes from it. It's like wood, hay, and stubble. It's not going to bring about any uh, eternal purpose. It's just nothing. It's brought to nothing. We think of evil often as, you know, we know extreme cases of evil. We say, wow, that's, that's evil. But evil even involves just worthlessness. Evil is the absence of good. It's the absence of good. And where there's worldly wisdom, good is absent. Verse 17, let's look at heavenly wisdom and we'll wrap up. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. These are the credentials, James tells us, or the trademarks of heavenly wisdom. And he says, first of all, the wisdom that comes from heaven is pure. I believe that he says, first of all, it's pure because this is the foundation for everything else that he's going to discuss. The church uh, is the pure bride of Christ and needs to be pure. In fact, the Bible tells us that anyone who has this hope in him, that is the hope of Jesus Christ and of eternal life and inheriting the good things that God has prepared for us, he purifies himself. That's what the Bible says. And so it has to begin with purity. All these other things um, are nothing without without that. We need purity. So it's first of all pure. It means there is no corruption. There is no defilement. There is nothing that taints it or, um, or causes it to be um, uh, tainted by the world or corrupted. Then it says peace-loving. Peace-loving. It yearns and strives for peace and unity. It's not just passive when it comes to peace. It, it tries to seek peace. It seeks out Peace. It's like the verse that says, as far as it depends upon you, be at peace with, with everyone and honor the Lord in that way. Then it's considerate. It's not critical, but it watches out for the well-being of everyone. Then it's submissive. It yields to and cooperates with the needs of others. This is the wisdom that comes from heaven. And as we continue to read this list, you know, you can think about your own life. Are these Credentials are these trademarks showing up, showing up in your life in the circumstances and situations you find yourself in. And if not, it may be an indication that there may be some operation in worldly wisdom rather than 
godly wisdom or heavenly wisdom. Full of mercy. The word full oftentimes in the New Testament just means controlled by. Controlled by mercy. Your life is dictated by mercy to others. You know, it's said that when, when somebody else messes up, we ask God for judgment. But when we mess up, we ask God for mercy. And so we need to, we need to ask God for mercy in both situations. It's full of mercy. It's controlled by mercy. It is forgiving of offenses. Full of good fruit. It is purposeful. It's effective. It's productive. Good things come as a result. It's impartial. It does not show favoritism, but it treats all equally. And it's sincere. It is not fake, false, or hypocritical, but rather genuine, authentic, and honest. And then James closes with this verse, verse 18. He says, Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. We saw that he opened up with a question and a command in verse 13, it's in the imperative to prove it. Prove, prove your life of wisdom by your good deeds. And he closes the section with this statement. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. When you're bearing fruit from your life, the fruit of peace, the thing about this type of fruit is that it's not even the seeds that are planted in the other person's life to bring up more fruit. It's the fruit. They receive the fruit of peace and they bear the fruit of peace through it as they respond to that. And when I'm talking about peace, I'm talking about tranquility, the tranquility of life that comes from having peace with God. It starts with having peace with God through the grace of God and salvation through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So true wisdom always brings about the fruit of peace. Worldly wisdom always bears confusion and disorder. And our lives will prove which kind of wisdom we are operating in. Warren Wiersbe said, What we are is what we live, and what we live is what we sow. What we sow determines what we reap. If we live in God's wisdom, we sow righteousness and peace, and we reap God's blessing. If we live in man's worldly wisdom, we sow sin and war, and we, and we reap confusion and every evil work. So we want to be peacemakers. And I was thinking about this passage and I was thinking about our church and you know, people come up and say, this is a wonderful place. It's a wonderful place to fellowship. I hope you feel that way. But um, I think one of, the, one of the wonderful things is that, is that we're able to have fellowship and peace here, the bond of peace, the unity of the spirit. Uh, a concern is as churches get larger, there can be, because there's more people, there can be more problems, um, there can be a tendency for there to, to become um, what the world calls cliques, and which can turn into divisions and factions, and uh, that's, that's not very healthy at all. Now, we have wonderful settings like home fellowship group where you can get into smaller groups and have a more intimate setting, as was mentioned, and those are wonderful things. But my prayer for this church is that even within our smaller groups, we would always remain inclusive, would always remain at peace with others. And it's been wonderful to see that happening, particularly in our high school group, where they, there's little groups that form, but they're inclusive and not exclusive. They don't turn into cliques. There's no division. There's no factions. May our church be like that. I just want to close with the scripture, read it to you and leave you with this. Proverbs 3, verses 13 through 18. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding. 
For she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Those who who lay hold of her will be blessed. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we think about this idea of wisdom and our deep need and hopefully desire to have it, we're just so thankful, God, that you invite us just to ask, just to ask for it, ask for wisdom. And you, without finding fault, will be generous to give it to us liberally. We thank you, Lord, for the truths of your word, for the knowledge that is received through your word, as we exercise faith, we desire to know your truths, the knowledge of the Holy One, and to be able to be given the ability to live them out practically in our lives through wisdom, and that that wisdom would bring humility and peace in our lives. And may we be a people marked with peace, Lord, because this world so desperately needs peace, so desperately wants it, and may may we show them where they can find it in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to be at peace in him together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you can stand as we close in worship. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org or find us on Facebook. These podcasts are also available in video format on our Calvary Chapel The Rock YouTube page.